You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. A state of high performance. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Today's interview is an in-person interview in Austin, Texas. Today we're going to talk about something that I think you need to know about because either you may have breast implants or people in your life do and it's not really clear to understand why you're having some strange symptom and how it could possibly be connected to your breasts. So what I thought I'd do is I'd find a top expert in the country on breast implants and that we'd have a real serious conversation about it. So Dr. Rob Whitfield is here on the show and he's done a lot of breast implants. You put them in. Yes. And you've taken probably more out than you put in? By far, yes. All right. So, most people who put breast implants into women will sort of tell you on swear of, on, on penalty of death, breast implants are harmless. But at some point, you must have had a wake-up call to figure out that this wasn't working. What was your wake-up call? One of the best things you can do to improve how you feel is to get at least six and a half hours of quality sleep every night. Why? Because your body heals itself when you sleep, which reduces your risk of just about every disease and makes it easier to lose weight on top of that. So how do you get more quality sleep every night? Well, you could make sure you're getting enough magnesium. Believe it or not, about 75% of us don't have enough of it. Even worse, most magnesium supplements don't fix your deficiency or help you sleep better. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It's a full-spectrum supplement with seven different forms of magnesium. You just take two capsules before you go to bed and look at how much better you feel the next morning and how much better you sleep. Because you're a regular subscriber on the podcast, the team at Bioptimizers is giving you a discount. All you've got to do is go to magbreakthrough.com slash Dave, use code Dave10, and you can save up to 47%. That's magbreakthrough.com slash Dave. Use code Dave10. You must have had a wake-up call to figure out that this wasn't working. What was your wake-up call? Right. I, my background is mostly in oncology reconstruction. So my intent through training, uh, both in surgery, plastic surgery, and microsurgery, was to provide patients with procedures that would salvage uh, and protect them uh, through a cancer journey. And so predominantly breast cancer is a very prevalent cancer, so we were involved with cancer reconstruction. And one of the, the tools you utilize in cancer reconstruction is a breast implant. Obviously, right. If you're doing a sarcoma reconstruction and they remove part of your tibia, you use a, a tibial implant. So whether it's a knee, a hip, a breast, a dental implant, a neural spinal implant, a defibrillator, I've helped every single provider take care of their implant problems. So there's not a implant that's devoid of a problem because it's a foreign body. And when you put it into somebody, your body immediately reacts to that and creates a capsule around a scar because it doesn't want that in your body. Right. So everybody has an immunologic response to it. And so I get asked a lot, like how many breast implants did I put in, which is something you were alluding to. Well, for oncologic reconstruction, the dominant method of reconstruction in the United States is a breast implant okay. because, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a small number of women who actually get reconstruction. The, 
the reason it's so prevalent is in any community, if the plastic surgeons in those communities are basically trained, they can provide that service for the client. Um, my specific niche was microsurgery. So I would do nerve and muscle sparing procedures to take skin and fat from the abdomen, inner thigh, even upper buttock tissue, and transport that to the chest and hook that up via microsurgery using the blood vessels that the cardiac surgeons use to revascularize the heart. Okay. So, a little bit different than sticking some balloons in and filling right, with saline. Right. right. So for me, uh, I didn't put in a large number of implants. I took a large number out. And when I look back at my experience, I was taking care of folks with this problem without knowing I was taking care of folks with this problem. Okay. Somebody would show up with a red chest, a tight band feeling across their chest, a capsular contracture, very firm implant. And I knew, I'm like, well, if I just take that out, and I take all the scar out, and I put their own tissue there, then it's autologous. It'll, it'll, it'll heal. It'll work. All right. So moving forward, in 2016, I had a breast cancer patient who relocated from Georgia to retire here in Austin on the lake. And she came to me and said, I want my reconstruction taken down, Dr. Whitfield. And I said, okay. Um, there was no specific reason. She just wanted to be flat. She was tired of having a reconstruction. She had had one for over 20-some years. Um, she had no real physical findings on examination. Her history was otherwise consistent with uh, a breast cancer survivor. Her laboratory analysis, which we'll talk about later, just revealed basically nothing. Okay, so she was healthy. Yeah. One complaint. Bad fatigue. Oh, okay. So she wasn't healthy. People who are tired aren't healthy unless it's because they didn't sleep or they ate crap. But the predominant thinking, Dave, is if you had cancer and you were treated with poison to cure your cancer and you had bone marrow suppression, that explains make you tired. your fatigue. And I was in that lane. That's what okay, I saw. So that's what you believed. So I took her to the operating room. Ah. There's one caveat. She asked me to do something I'd never been asked before by a patient. She said, can you take out my implants on block? And so for your audience, on block yeah. is a term used in pathology. It's tumor extirpation, uh, extirpation or removal is done on block. Say for a sarcoma or any cancer, you want to be around it, not in it. Okay, so she wanted you to take the tissue around the, the capsule? Right. The scar capsule okay. and the implant together. So when I talk about it, I say it's like taking things out in an undisturbed manner, like not breaking the Easter egg. Okay. So, so. so the Easter egg, just for, for listeners, you have the silicon or whatever the bag of fluid is made out of, the implant, and then you have a scar capsule around it. That your body made. And you could take out just the implant and leave the scar. Correct. Okay, good deal. And so on, on Blanc Mint... Removing the scar tissue and the balloon. On blog versus total versus partial capsulectomies. Okay. So, I mean, I had done cancer surgeries with my colleagues and on our own and reconstructed. And so this was not a big thing for me to do. Yeah. And so I did it that way. But how dare you do what your patient wanted? I mean, aren't you the doctor? <laughs> well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think it was just kind of one of those things where I was, I was like, I've always been intellectually curious and... I didn't make a big deal about her asking me that. Yeah. I said, well, I take them out that way basically anyway. So yeah, it's fine. If it, it's, there's some nuances to it, but yeah, of course. Why so, did she want that? Was she 
She didn't allude to that at the okay. time. She did not tell me anything. And I was like, okay. So I took her to the operating room. She had to be uh, monitored overnight for a separate medical condition. So she, her case was done in the hospital, which predominantly I don't uh, use hospitals. I use surgery centers. So I took her to the operating room. And so each oncology takedown for reconstruction proceeds for me the same way. Of course, I'm trying to do everything and take it out intact because if you're going to have a cancer recurrence, it's usually at the scar in a breast cancer case mm -hmm. or the tissue associated with the scar underneath it. So you excise the scar, you take it out all together, and so when it comes out and the pathologist looks at it, they can actually make sure that everything uh, is in order. And also, you take cultures of the area when you remove it because, uh, as we all know, implants are foreign and they can become infected, frankly infected or contaminated with biofilm. Okay. So... I take everything out, and on her uh, one-week follow-up, I see her, and she's doing very well. And we're going through the pathology. There's no evidence of recurrent cancer, which is obviously uh, great. And then I look at her microbiology report, <laughs> and she has an E. coli infection. Not, not a smattering of E. coli, a true a medical crap load infection. <laughs> And just so the audience knows, for a hospital to identify that, there is greater than 10 to the fifth or 100,000 bacteria in that sample. And so I was uh, pretty taken back by that. Um, I had missed a breast implant infection. I hadn't missed a small amount of contamination. I had missed an entire occult infection. And so that really bothered me. And I so I went back through all the notes and... <laughs> I talked to my team. I was like, uh, I don't, what is going on here? And because it was done in a hospital, as you know, they'll create an antibody, uh, antibiotic sensitivity profile for it. And I, as tradition, I followed that uh, profile, put her on antibiotics, and what do you know? Magically, her fatigue was all better in a month. You mean chronic infections anywhere in the body make people feel tired and have all sorts of unpredicted things when bacteria make bacterial toxins and circulate them around in your body? Yeah, it was, wow. it was pretty shocking. So I think we're all basically collections of experiences, and this one shaped how I practiced uh, moving forward. So what made her want to get it taken out this way? She had to have some secret knowledge or she was psychic? Well... She, she didn't really ever allude to this, uh, but shortly thereafter, my office started getting calls from patients requiring explants. Mm -hmm. And they're like, uh, you have all these people wanting this now. So she put me on some Facebook uh, group. Okay. And she was an early, probably an early advocate for breast implant. And she this. didn't call it that. Yeah. Because this was 2016. Um, she, she was a. a and, you know, people who do well don't, like, wander back to see you. So she just kind of went about her way, and all of a sudden I just had people, like, coming, calling. Not tons of initially, but because I would do it this way and what's becoming the vernacular en bloc, which is, it's not a, a, a term that's, you know, frequently going to be used, but that's what's posted on these message boards, and they identify surgeons, and then I started having people come and, um, as I, I, be, I left my group practice, went into solo practice, this became more and more the theme. I still did oncologic reconstruction. Um, I would take care of breast implant problems, meaning that 
if you had a capsular contracture, if you had a poorly positioned breast reconstruction or a, a cosmetic one that had been revised multiple times, because of all my experience using techniques for cancer patients, I would correct those. But uh, just so that everybody listening understands, those all will ultimately fail. Wow. It doesn't really matter how good I am. I, you can spend all day patting yourself on the back because eventually that device will over its lifetime, there will be a problem with it. My wife came and asked me for breast implants and I was like, no. Well, first of all, it's not my aesthetic. I don't think big boobs are the thing. Um, but second of all, if you can't avoid foreign bodies of any nature, then I, I don't feel like that's a bad thing for your biome. I think, you know, it is, as much as we can take care of ourselves through improvements in whether it's our diet, supplements, sleep, uh, many of the things you ascribe to, implants don't really fall into those as, as categories. So we just kept rolling along doing these cases. And in Q4 of 18, I had an ICU nurse travel from Louisiana. Her sister lived in Austin. She wanted me to do her explant. I did her explant and it was the nastiest set of implants I had ever taken out. I take everything out. Hers went according to plan, no disruption in the capsule at all. Took it all out, put it on the back table, got everything, you know. At that point, I used to use drains, and we'll explain why I don't anymore. But uh, got her clothes wrapped up. I opened these things on the back table, and I think many providers confuse gel bleed for biofilm. Um, oh, oh, so they're saying that, that the gel is coming out of the thing, but it's not, it's actually growing on it? So you know what biofilm is. It's basically a polysaccharide, and it's gooey. Mm. And when people like feel it, and I see them on you know YouTube or or IG going like, "This is bio, or this is gel bleed," I'm like, "No, that's biofilm." So it's basically a back, bacterial slime for, yes. for like kind of snotty, right? Yes. Yep. And you know, and your audience should know, when you do the traditional culture swab technique on biofilm, you will not find out what is there. The bacteria has purposefully created that biofilm to avoid detection by your body and by the techniques we use. You know what it's like? Um, some people have thought about the lining of the gut, right? And if you think about it, you have the gut and you have a layer of mucus, right? And the mucus is put there by your body so that you don't digest your own gut, basically. Uh, and so you need to have that slimy layer that's right. there and the bacteria is behind that layer. Right. Right, okay. So, so this is the second thing that changed our practice. So um, one, I never assumed anybody with an implant didn't have an occult infection. So you, but you, everyone has them. I was, when I got that symptom pattern, which as, as we talked about earlier, like doctors are trained to, rec they're trained to recognize patterns. And one of the problems with breast implant illness is it does not fit a pattern of recognition for the doctor. It, it's a lot like toxic mold because the symptoms are, there's so many and you might have, you know, eight out of 50 possible symptoms. Right. Those are the things it seems like modern medicine is designed to fail at. Yeah. And because they, comma, they commonly happen at the same time in the same patient, it's even more confusing. Well, that means it's hypochondria because if you have eight <laughs> symptoms all at the same time, I mean, they teach you that in medical school, do they not? Well, yeah, and this gal, like, so this is an ICU nurse. When I used to get a medical provider coming to me, yeah. like this lady worked in the ICU for years, I'm like, God knows what kind of biofilm she has. She's colonized with everything, right? Everything, every antibiotic-resistant bacteria you can think of, this person would have. So had I used what tech I use now, I would have really had some insight. But back then, 
I was using CLIA-based lab testing, which is taking a swab, like a Q-tip, wiping it in the pocket, sending it to the lab in a container. They incubate it, which has been done for 100 years, basically, it hasn't changed. And you'll get a report kickback if, in fact, there's something to kick back. If there's something that will grow on the media that right. they're using it with. And what that means for, for testing, imagine that if you lived on steak and they wanted to see if you existed and they gave you uh, Impossible Burgers, you wouldn't exist because you couldn't eat Impossible Burgers because they're not food. So it, it's one of the things you have to have the right food for the right bacteria. So one of the things, even if you swab something that's unusual, it may not grow in the lab test, Right. right. So but you're just saying that universally you're seeing bacteria, but what about yeast and fungus? Are those major players too growing on implants? Oh, we're going to get to that. All right. Um, so, because that's an internet sensation thing. So I go out to the husband. I say, look, she's going to do that. Are you ready for a new coffee experience you haven't had before? It's called Danger Coffee. I specifically designed it for you with your biology in mind. There's a patent pending formula with more than 50 trace minerals and nutrients that support your body, including electrolytes. And the best part, this form of minerals can enter your cells through cell membranes so that you can get your minerals back. Of course, it's made from hand-picked lab-tested beans based on my very latest standards, so you know it's mold-free. With Danger Coffee, look for the ability to have level energy, to focus better, and feel very different even from just normal clean coffee. The minerals change how the liquids go into your cells. You might even feel dangerously good. So go over to DangerCoffee.com and use the code DAVE15. I'm happy to gift you with 15% off to give it a try or maybe to reorder. And you'd be amazed at how many people are already subscribing. Once you have your first cup, you're going to realize you feel different. DangerCoffee.com, code DAVE15. Thank you for supporting my businesses. I go out to the husband. I say, look, she's going to do better. These are clearly infected, and I just need to wait for the results to come back. And, and you know, so I'm going back to my 2016 experience. I'm going to find, like, some god-awful bacteria right, right. from the ICU, multi-drug-resistant, da-da-da-da-da comes back normal. Now I'm just pissed. But she was really sick. Yeah. And so if someone's infected, just so the audience understands this, back when I used to drain people, which I don't do now, the drain tube in this patient was putting out over 200 cc's of pure fluid a day per side. That's a lot of fluid going through Which this. means it's an infection. Wow. So I did, and I didn't do anything back then other than use antibiotic solution to cleanse a pocket and put a drain tube in because that was my teaching, my learning from oncology reconstruction. So um, concordantly with this, I was in the leadership position in the Aesthetic Society's Research Education Foundation. And ALCL had come to four, which is anaplastic large cell lymphoma, it's closely associated with textured breast implants. Mm. So I had never used textured breast implants in cosmetics at all. I had used them in reconstruction because the intent for them in a reconstructive case was to prevent malposition and rotation. So descent up or down, medial lateral, or by degrees of change. 
mm. because you're using shaped implants typically in a reconstructive case. And so this happened, uh, the reports came out, I discontinued use right away as a, a early adopter of that practice, not knowing what was actually going on with textured implants and breast implant associated large cell lymphoma. And so, you know, there were reports with that early on about a particular uh, bacteria, rickettsia, and I knew the company had, that had done those with quantitative PCR. So I got in touch with that company who happens to be in Lubbock, Texas, Microgen DX, and I said, I want to negotiate a rate to send all of my samples to you. Uh, so you found a new way of doing testing. Right. So they do quantitative PCR. So for everybody listening, quantitative PCR is a research tool that's now become commercially available to take a DNA fragment and amplify it. So if there's one copy. It, it's cool because with PCR testing, if you just amplify it enough times, you can find anything you want, right? No, has to be there, <laughs> has to be there. So they run it, uh, the, the table they run for me specifically is 150 bacteria, fungus, and mycobacteria. Ah, so you're going, oh, and mycobacteria. Yeah. Can you say what a mycobacteria is for listeners? It's something that, that a lot of people don't know about. And you can say, Dave, I don't care. Trust me, you care. <laughs> so mycobacterium in plastic surgery is a very bad actor. Yeah. And, and in dental health, right? Yeah. So think of it, um, and we'll talk about how I do fat transfers later, but every year somewhere where sterilization techniques are not meeting standards, there's a mycobacterium outbreak. Mm -hmm. And it may happen in a few patients and before it's caught. Um, but it is definitely a bad actor in plastic surgery, uh, in immunosuppressed patients. Um, if everybody remembers from the AIDS crisis, mycobacterium avium was a big problem in uh, patients with AIDS. But mycobacterium in a plastic surgery patient means to me they're significantly immunosuppressed or it's transplanted there through contaminating. So the, the immunosuppression can happen because of what's in the breast implant illness itself, right? Like the, the things that are in there or toxic mold in your environment is immunosuppressive. So I used to have suppressed immunity. And yeah, all sorts of stuff will grow during that, and then this stuff takes advantage of it. Yeah, it's an opportunistic infection. Has, you have to have suppression in order to have this be a problem. Yep. And so I wanted to make sure that all of my samples, my client samples, were being looked at completely, both for cancer and through a microbiology lens, because you cannot have something that affects someone's long-term health by doing what I did in 2016, which miss an occult infection, and I certainly don't ever want to miss a cancer. So that that is technically, I do the operation the same way all the time in terms of I'm trying to take it out like an undisturbed Easter egg. We send this off to pathology. We send this off for quantitative PCR analysis. So we know exactly what's going on with each of our clients. They have that peace of mind that I'm going to make sure and do it the right way every single time and get them this information. So there is no... Uh, question at a month, three months, three years, did I do this and is it gone? So that spurned me doing this. And so from Valentine's Day 2019 to present, that's how everything is done when I treat a patient. Wow. So you, you really test for all these things. The, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show today is when I sat down and talked with you uh, a couple months ago, 
I was just impressed, number one, that you listen to your patients in a way that a lot of physicians don't. Uh, Many people, when I go to see the doctor, many doctors would say, you know, kind of, I don't believe you because you can't have all this stuff going on. So your ability to listen was really strong, but also just over the last five or so years, it seems like you've unpacked the problem in a way that's that's really changed how a lot of people think about it. So I would consider you to be one of our top experts in the illness around what's happening in the breast implants, what's going on in the body. And you do some things that, that are pretty unusual from what I've, I've seen. Uh, for instance, you'll do an EEG, the same kind of stuff I do at 40 Years In, like a, a brainwave test of people with breast implants. That is so abnormal for a surgeon that I would just call you Dr. Abnormal, but I'm pretty sure that's already been said, right? Yeah, I've been called a lot of things. That's that's not even that new, honestly. Right. So EEG for breast implant illness. What do you find in the brains of women with breast implant illness? So so like, I, I was upset when I would hear people be critical of the patients by saying, "What? What the hell was brain fog?" It's and, so real. And I was like, when someone from the client side said this to me for the first time. I said, okay, so I just need to understand exactly what that means to you. What, what is that? What are you describing to me? And I said, well, I have trouble remembering my kid's name. Yeah. God, I remember that. And then he said, I can't find my keys sometimes. I'm like, well, okay, that's short-term memory loss. So if you just convey to the, to me as a provider, if you say short-term memory loss, I understand that. Right. I don't know what the hell brain fog is. I do now because I see it all. The, I understand it from the client side now, but back then I was like, oh, so it's just short-term memory yeah, short-term loss. memory loss plus a lack of energy. Like where you have to summon the effort to think of something that should just come automatically is also part of it and short-term memory loss. At least that's how I would have described it. Right. It was actually you who convinced me to do EEGs. Was it really? <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So I was listening to a show. Uh, and you described Wavi Medical. Yeah, they've been on the show. Guys, if you're new to the show, um, A, a lot of doctors do listen to it. Thanks for being a listener. I didn't actually know this part. And yeah, Wavi, we did an interview a while ago about brain speeds. And if you read my new book, Smarter Not Harder, um, I talk about one of the measures that they take uh, as kind of proof that there's an operating system in your body. So that's a little side note about Wavi. But okay, so you learned about EEG on the show. So I sent an inquiry to Wavi and, you know, Austin, uh, who lives in Austin, uh, he recognized my address because his, his family used to live right there. <laughs> and he called me on like Sunday uh, in the office and we talked and I explained to him what I was interested in by acquiring Wavi to look at my patients who have brain fog. Yeah, and Wavi is an EEG system designed to basically do a, a basic brain health setup okay. or checkup. Yeah. And so Wavi has a wonderful program. They have an IRB, an Institutional Review Board Approved Study. So my clients who are willing to participate sign uh, the uh, study uh, consent form and we're able to include them. So we try to do a EEG pre-op a week post-op, a month, and three months. And their scientists are looking at the data and they have identified changes in latency. Um, I think for us, like, I want to provide as much data and science 
that we can apply to this problem. So it's not viewed as it's in someone's head. It's not viewed as being a hypochondriac or anything of that nature. So I feel like whatever you know we can do to help the women who have this issue, I feel like that's, you know, uh, and I don't charge anybody to do this. I have this as part of my program. And so do they have brain fog? Like, what, what do you see? Is there, is there... So we're doing it across the board, and there are changes in, uh, as you would imagine, voltage. There's a little decrease. Um, and we don't have enough accrued yet to make um, strong claims, but the scientist is comfortable with what we're giving them and they're reviewing. Okay, got it. So the, the results aren't in. And guys, brain voltage, you're like what? Yeah, your brain has electricity in it. That's what EEG is based on. And it's one of the things that uh, when you do the 40 years of Zen training in Seattle, on the last couple of days, we actually train you to increase voltage in your brain. But you can only do that if you have the right minerals, you have the right building blocks, uh, and you have enough energy production in the brain. So if all of the things are lined up to allow you to do it, then you need the brain to want to do it. And when you set all that up, you can actually improve your own voltage if that's a tuning of your brain that's the right one for your performance. So most people when you say brain voltage, it's like, what? You mean I could have like a different a battery pack in my Tesla or something? But kind of, yeah, you, you can have a, a faster, hotter spark in the brain. And you're finding that people with breast implant illness have just they lower have changes. Yeah, they have changes. And as you would imagine, as, as you've alluded to on your show many, many times, having toxic mold exposures, when you deal with the folks who have mold and breast implant oh, illness, poor people. they have a lot of neural inflammation. And when you look at their genetics or their food sensitivities or their hormones or their GI map um, or their toxicity report, which we'll get to shortly, yeah. um, it paints a really good picture of why they have so much chronic inflammation and why the doctors who are trying to care for them have zero understanding of what is going on. One, because the, the actual tools, and you've mentioned on the show, the CRP and SED rate, um, are the traditional tools used to look at inflammation. In my patients, because I've looked at LPPA2, IL-6, CRP, SED rates, they do not show that. We're going to pause for a second there. He's looked at all the inflammatory markers that you would expect, and they didn't work. Sorry, keep going. Exactly. So these are the traditional markers that have been mentioned uh, both by Dave on his show, and we've looked at, and they do not track with this patient population. Okay, so what that means is that when you have breast implant illness, the markers don't change to show inflammation? No. So then people say, well, on a lab test, you don't have inflammation, therefore you're making it up, therefore you're crazy. Right, so uh, last year a company was brought to me at a meeting and um, at the Mindshare Collaborative who has a novel biomarker for inflammation. Okay, this is JJ Virgin's group. JJ's been on the show, she's a close friend, okay. See how, see how this works? There's almost a community of biohackers working all over the world to make things better. All right, keep going. Well, had I not <clears throat> went to that a couple years ago, I wouldn't be where I am now because the, the group, the collaboration in that group is strong and when people know what I do, they find other people to help me do a better job. So they brought this company to me, which I had knew no, had no idea existed. And basically they had been treating um, their clients that had COVID with this, uh, not treating the client, checking inflammation on patients with COVID. Because 
they were trying to find a way to follow the inflammation that exists after COVID, which, you know, as you've explained on your, your show many times, a big cytokine release, poor genetics will give you a lot of problems with COVID. Yeah. So basically it's a urine uh, study that looks at uh, metabolism on thromboxane A2. So I was like, okay, sure, you know, send it to us. And so we started doing it. And I have the tiniest uh, gal in my uh, practice who's wonderful, eats like a great diet, takes best supplements, has out of control blood pressure, breast implants, all the symptoms. And so I had to put her on blood pressure medicine because her doctors couldn't get her blood pressure down. And so traditional medicines and uh, diuretics or ACE inhibitors, sometimes um, the, sometimes newer doesn't mean better. So I put her on something uh, old, centrally acting clonidine and lowered her blood pressure and did her surgery. Um, her brain fog is lifted. She feels kind of like herself again. She still has problems with hypertension but she had the highest chronic inflammatory test before surgery I've ever had. It's, uh, it's called the chronic inflammatory test. Nice. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I've got a lot of companies who, um, they're wonderful, but their names are. Got it. So the, there's all kinds of... Right. So this test now we use routinely to follow. And I know it works because if you put someone on my program before surgery, okay. it drops before surgery. Wow. So you're, you, you can level... You know, we always talk about leveling up in business, but you can decrease your inflammation and level up prior to surgery. Got it. And so when you say put them on your program, um, what is the program? So uh, as everybody listening, this is, this is six years of work of figuring out, like, you know, what mistakes I've made, what have I missed, what can I do to help this group? Hey, guys. You've probably read my new book, Smarter, Not Harder, and if not, you're totally doing it the hard way because there is a single chapter in the book on the vitamins and the supplements that do the most good across every system in your body. I go deep on how D, A, K, and E work together. That's why I've created something called Vitamin Dake. They're not like the normal anti-aging, amazing things that I love to talk about on the show. They're not sexy nootropics. These are the things that allow every other system in your body to work better. So every ounce of work you do, you can get better returns if your vitamin D levels are high and if you get Minerals 101, the other supplement. And best of all, vitamin D at normal doses costs less than $20 a month and you're getting the right amounts of vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin K2, and vitamin E. So go to vitamindake.com, use code DAVE10. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. This is six years of work of figuring out, like, you know, what mistakes I've made, what have I missed, what can I do to help this group of women? Um, and so on your show, you've elaborated on gut health. I don't, I don't know how many episodes you've done just about the gut. I always think I'm done and then they find something new. I'm like, damn, another show on gut health, but okay. Right. So we link your food sensitivity testing to your GI map. So we take what is going to cause you more inflammation from your diet and link it to, basically I think of it as like what you're absorbing, what you're not getting. Mm-hmm. 
And then do you have leaky debt? Is your secretory IGA super high on your GI map? So right. things of, and you know, as you know, if you if you can't absorb nutrients nutrients at all, or, or you're limited, then your ability to recover is minimized. You're gonna you're gonna stay swollen longer. You're gonna have fatigue longer. Mm -hmm. All things that nobody uh, who's coming to my office wants. They want me to you know, <laughs> how little can downtime be because they have a family and work. Uh, no scoring, painless. These are just a few things that are asked of me on a, on a daily basis. So food sensitivity, GI map. I really pay attention to the hormones now, and I think it's a really underserved uh, area in this group because women, perimenopausal, postmenopausal women, you know, their, their hormones are changing. And in particular, the hormone that we look at, uh, specifically for me, is their testosterone. Um, estrogen will change and go down, progesterone um, changing, going down. But as those go down, testosterone just plummets. And if your testosterone is super low, especially the bioavailable testosterone, your ability to recover and get from catabolism to anabolism and healing phase is severely limited. This has been shown in all sorts of studies over time. In surgery, and uh, as I cared for burn patients in training, this was hammered into us about the use of oxandrolone. And we did a study on that in pediatric burn patients for wound healing. So I think I focus on that to make sure, once again, that we're enhancing the ability of the patient to recover. But uh, as we talked about a little bit too, I have a large number of patients who fly from around the country to get fat transfers at the same time. Because when you take implants out, you're affecting the aesthetics, and you may be able to do a lift, but revolumization provides less of a visual change and more of an enhancement to offset that change. Okay, so basically, when you get the artificial stuff taken out, you can get fat from somewhere else in the body, put it in there, and you're still gonna have breasts that look the way you want them to look. We're trying to make it as close uh, as possible, because it is a big psychological uh, issue. And it's okay to want to look the way you want to look. Absolutely. Like that's part of like you got breast implants for yeah. a reason. So, and I obviously, uh, after doing oncology work for so long, I've, I'm uniquely sensitive to what those problems are with image and trying to get the best possible results. I've done fat transfers since, you know, the 98 essentially. And people will typically say that, you know, they can't execute them. They don't work as well. Um, Okay, just so for everybody in the audience, I'll explain what a fat transfer is. You take, which a fat transfer has been done for over 100 years. You take fat from one location of the body, whether it's the love handle, the tummy, inner outer thigh, and you transfer it to another place. So whether we're doing a breast enhancement or a buttock enhancement, fat goes where fat belongs, and that's in the subcutaneous layer beneath the skin. It's not in the muscle in the butt transfers, and it's not in the breast in a, tr in a transfer to the breast. So if you put fat inside of a breast, you will get cyst formation, radiographic, radiographic abnormalities. If you put it in the subcutaneous layer, which is underneath the skin, you will not have radiographic abnormalities provided it all lives, and it will not confuse a radiologist trying to look for breast cancer and oh. microcalcifications, which is often written about and is a misnomer. It, it's not gonna be misconstrued for that. So the, the cancer screening doesn't change. 
I've been doing it in cancer patients since 2002, for goodness sake. Of course, we would never do anything that would affect the surveillance of a cancer patient. So you're saying that if you inject fat in the skin um, around the breast. Correct. Uh, that you're not going to have problems with diagnosis later. But if you inject it directly into the tissues of the breast, like, I guess, the glands? In the bran breast parenchyma, in the, in the gland itself. It, then you would have radiographic problems. Okay, that means that people... Which is common sense. It means you, you can't see that if a person has breast cancer or not, because it's going to look like breast cancer, but it's just fat. Right, and, and fat transfers cannot cause breast cancer. Right, it, but it just looks like it might be, so they freak out. Right, so, okay. the, so everybody understands they come from different cell lines. Uh, breast cancer is uh, an epithelial. Um, the fat is mesenchymal. Fat can only transform into a sarcoma, basically. A phylloides tumor is a breast tumor, is super rare. So basically, we're, we're talking about things that don't happen. Okay, so, so the fat transfer is safe because you're not gonna get an immune reaction. You might get an infection, but not like a breast implant, just because you're during the, if the procedure was done wrong, you'd get an infection, but once it's healed, you'd be fine. Correct. Um, and, and super low complication rate, yeah. super low. But, but I, I've had fat taken out twice uh, for, for stem cells, and I did not enjoy the, the liposuction. And what, what uh, they did, both times I had it done uh, with, uh, with Dr. Harry Adelson, I mean, it, it's not like suction to pull fat out like for cosmetics. It's, you know, about a coffee cup's worth of fat. They took it from my, my love handles. Um, but it wasn't particularly comfortable to have it harvested. So probably the, the ease of slice, slice a little bit, open in the breast, stuff a balloon in and fill it up or whatever. I, don't, I have no idea how it works. But like you're, you're doing the, the, the putting a breast implant in is much easier than pulling fat out via some mechanism from somewhere that hurts <laughs> right. and then putting the fat and purifying the fat and putting it back in. But that procedure, even though it's more work, is safe. So if someone wanted breast enhancement, that's what you'd recommend as a fat transfer. Yeah, it's very safe and individualized to the patient will have longevity, of course. We talk about you know maintenance of diet. We use higher protein diets, higher fat diets, in fact, healthy fats, of course. Uh, uh, heaven forbid, higher healthier fat diet. <laughs> who, who dare, how dare they? Okay. Right, especially me. Um, I'm always causing a little trouble. But uh, I think balancing uh, that in conjunction with their hormones sets them up for success. So, okay. If I were to do a breast dog on a, you know, somebody in their 20s with that technique, a fat transfer, yeah. would it work? Well, yeah. And will it, will it still work when they're 60? So as they go through metabolic changes, they'll gain and lose according to their you know, habits, their lifestyle, right. their diet. So, but it's yours, right? It's autologous. It's not... Right foreign, so you're not going to attack it. Assuming they don't go through rapid weight gain or weight loss, right. if you have a healthy 24-year-old says, I want bigger breasts, you do a fat transfer, and then if she maintains her you know, within 10 or 20 pounds, her breasts are going to are going to hold up over time? Yeah, biologically, it just makes sense. So when I have, you know, the, uh, the mom who, who had kids and skin's in good shape, not stretch marks, um, not a lot of sag, and she's like, I just want more volume. Yeah. Well, that's what you do. And, of course, it's going to have longevity, provided, All you right. know, they're taking care of themselves. So this seems like a safer alternative for women who want breast enhancement but does it affect sensation? Because I know women with um, breast implants who've lost sensation or they lost sensation in their nipples after they had them taken out. So if you do a fat transfer, are you, you gonna 
have sensation problems? It, it should not create a sensation issue because think of like uh, the nerve supply. Uh, there's um, nerves that terminate around the nipple complex and the superficial layer of the epidermis, is, uh, epidermis and dermis. Um, the 12th nerve comes in from the side. So when you place a device and rapidly expand and stretch it, you affect those nerves. Particularly the 12th nerve, um, that is a common problem in patients who had large implants placed, very, very tight skin envelope, meaning they ha maybe they haven't had kids, which is typical, and the rapid expansion creates too much stretch on those. And that causes the you know, what you've described, an absence of sensation or loss of sensation. And when I do their explant, I will find that nerve terminating into the capsule of the implant many times. Oh, wow. They may have nerve pain, they may have absence sensation as you've described, but I've seen all manner of nerves involved with the side of that implant as it runs from the armpit, from back through the armpit to the side. And those are very, you know, if you, I have people come in routinely and say, oh, you know, I have all this nipple pain. I have all this electrical type activity here. And that's once well, the 12th nerve as it comes through that, that ear. I see it all the time. I try to take pictures of it too. So anytime I see it, I can show the client, like this is what was causing this. It's like a traumatic neuroma, basically. This is why I like talking with microsurgeons because you know all that wiring stuff that I don't know, which is super cool. So, uh, but the fat transfer, you're unlikely to have that because you can't. Yeah. Okay, how many cup sizes can you go up with a fat transfer? Yeah, typically it's one and a half cups. Okay. So, you know, and it varies. Uh, I think, and I, I always, like anybody, I have examples in my mind where I feel like, yeah, there, this is a much better result than an augmented result because an augmented result rarely looks natural because there's too much upper pole fullness typically. Mm -hmm. And over time, it won't change with the breast because if you put it behind the muscle, the breast implant stays behind the muscle, the breast comes and ages and goes off of that. Mm. So you get like a, a, a change that's obviously not aesthetically attractive okay. with time. Because it, it, you want something that will age with the patient. And um, you know we have lots of clever ways to treat the skin now. So we can actually tighten the skin up over time in a non-scarring fashion. But we'll talk about that at a time. So guys, that was what in, in theater work we call foreshadowing. <laughs> because there will be another episode because Rob's really a massive innovator uh, in, in a couple different uh, parts, parts of this. The thing that most impressed me to have you on the show now is, is the fact that you're doing brain scans of people. And, uh, okay, brain, brain scans with breast implant illness. Oh, look, you are having changes. And then you're also doing the genetic testing. You're using the DNA company, which is, uh, which is also really, really cool because, guys, Dr. Mansoor has been on, um, I think, four or five times on the show because they're doing such cutting-edge DNA work. And to find that here we have a top expert in breast implant illness who's going to the DNA company. And yes, guys, I, I should uh, disclose, I'm an investor and an advisor in the company. Uh, but you're doing that. I had no idea you were doing that until I sat down in your office. I'm like, you're using who? All right. So what are you finding on the DNA side with, with breast implants? Because I think this is interesting. You know that, um, we talked a little bit about the urine marker and inflammation. So that was a big puzzle piece. But the biggest puzzle piece has been functional genomics from Dr. Uh, Mansour's group and so helpful to us. And um, 
I now have over 200 uh, genetic reports on patients with breast implant illness. That makes me so happy. And uh, I explained to everyone, you know, I can listen now, and I didn't have this training, obviously, in medical school because we didn't have that information. But if you listen to and recognize the patterns of poor functioning genetic pathways coupled with environmental exposures, they can the the story just writes it right in front of you. So the if you have in my mind, I, I think of the you know the four pathways described in their reports of immunity, the vitamin D pathway, the methylation pathway, glutathione essentially, and the antioxidant pathway. Jesus, it's almost like if you've listened to any of the shows before, you've heard about these pathways, even if you don't have breast implant illness. Say those one more time. Glutathione. Glutathione, methylation, vitamin D, and antioxidant. Ah, love it. So, and eventually I hope to write a paper where we just talk about the archetypes of what will lead to this. Because when you have, and my first client who had that was not a breast implant illness client. No kidding. So the first client I ever had um, a male came to me and um, we do hair transplants and we use exosomes and all this stuff. And he's like, Dr. Whitfield, I want you to do my hair transplant. And he start, I was like, well, you have a lot of strange things in your health history and your review system. So uh, I don't understand why you have so much inflammation and I don't operate on people with high amounts of inflammation until we can uh, create a plan and, and get them on our heart protocol with supplements to just lower their inflammation, right? Because you don't want to operate on somebody in a high inflammatory state because you're not going to cause that to be better because Rob's the number one promoter of inflammation, right? I, I cause cortisol release. I, I give people problems. Well, that's what surgery that's is. That's what surgery injury, does. Right? So you're, you're, you know, do no harm. So I said, you need to do this genetic test I have. You, you'll get some insight from this. And this guy, <laughs> he was the first all four knockout I've ever had. So All four knockout. So he had a suboptimal vitamin D, methylation, glutathione, and antioxidant. So I told this guy, too, I was like, man, if you had breast implants, you would be like so sick right now. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, look, okay. So when these things don't function, as you know, like you're three out of four, um, I look at it with my clients and I was like, okay. So if we have all four that don't function, they're acutely sensitive to this. They have difficulty with everything we try to implement. So we implement it super slow. We take our immune support bundle. We use like only liposomal formulations so that we're bypassing the gut while that's trying to get healed and really trying to bring their poor enzymatic function up so that they can actually have a reasonable level over, you know, maybe one or two months prior to surgery, you're trying to get this built up. So when they have surgery, you're not then really setting them back because what you yeah. don't know will really cause trouble for patients. It, I so appreciate that you're you're doing that, and, and that's such a high standard of care for people. What what differences do you see when people go through your prep protocols in, in how quickly they heal and what they do? Um, so once yeah. we do the battery of tests that I feel helps you the most, and and I, I would just say that I've spent you know the better part of six years curating this. So the food test, the GI map test, the hormone testing, our total toxicity testing, which identifies bisphenols, phthalates, herbicides, pesticides, heavy metals, like arsenic in groundwater, uh, which is gone from, and mycotoxins, which are 
are what Dave refers to commonly about toxic mold exposures. Combine that with our functional genomic testing, our inflammatory marker testing, and I can give you a very well-rounded picture of what I think from an individual standpoint you're facing and how we can help you. And then, you know, I'm kind of the air person, right? So I have air filters all over my office. You saw all the ones around here too. I walked into your office and I, it doesn't smell like formaldehyde in here. <laughs> no, we have the cleanest air in town in my office. Um, you know, but your water. So I gave you a hydrogen water bottle uh, when you visited us. So th there's a lot of things we can, steps we can take, yeah. just like you highlighted in your video. And then, you know, I use all of the programming prior to surgery to get you in the best possible position for surgery. Um, at the time of surgery, it's, it's very um, specific to how I run our, uh, we call it an ERAS, enhanced recovery after surgery. I have a certain amount of medication that I use on a limited basis around the time of surgery. Um, you said you don't do well with propofol, uh, I heard you talk about before. I do the explant surgery under dental anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And the night before you take a medicine to reduce nausea, reduce inflammation, and prepare your nervous system. Because What's I don't- the medicine? So we use some gabapentin. Okay. And uh, Zofran and Celebrex. And so that's a common ERAS protocol around the United States. It's been published. We use one dose of IV antibiotics 30 minutes prior to incision to reduce skin site infections. And that's the standard of care. I don't put anybody on antibiotics after surgery. So you, you take it orally beforehand? Uh, they give it to you IV. Oh, IV. Okay. 30 minutes prior to uh, incision. And if it's IV, it's less likely to affect your gut bacteria, right? Typically, it's the, the, the big misnomer is that if someone gives you oral antibiotics after surgery, they're somehow going to protect you from an infection. Right. That's nonsense. <laughs> wow, okay. So we do our case. I have a very programmatic way to do the case every single time. Uh, we, you know, our goal is always taking everything out intact every single time. Um, whether we execute other steps, like I said, uh, a lift or a fat transfer, that's case dependent. And, you know, once we get um, the material out of the pocket, we use a lower pH solution for the pocket. So, I, it, so your audience understands, I have so much data regarding what's in a pocket, I would never use an antibiotic rinse to try to control what's in a pocket. So you're just using some of this more acidic. Correct. You mean like vinegar? Well, any <laughs> unicellular or multicellular organism, as you know, cannot tolerate pH change. Yeah. So as soon as you do that, what's in the pocket is done. And you don't use anything like ozone or silver or other things like that that are like really old, but... I have ozone really in the well. office, as you know, but yeah. I don't have it in the OR. Okay, got um, it. We close. I don't use drains anymore. Uh, I drain it internally, especially when I'm doing fat transfers. I interconnect the abdomen and breast pocket to drain it internally. People who have tubes are more likely to get infection. I know that's heresy, but in general, if you have something sticking out of you, bacteria travels in, not out. So once that part of the procedure is done, I go and I do, you know, uh, take a series of pictures uh, of the implants and capsules and do a couple videos because patients want to know in real time what I found. And I just do a brief uh, video for them and we make longer ones. And then I open everything on the back table, examine it, 
And so you can't really see what I'm describing from results we get from quantitative PCR. And it's hard even if there was a small cancer. You send that to the experts to look at under a microscope. So I take a small biopsy, I send it to the lab in Lubbock, Microgen DX. They do all of my quantitative PCR uh, sampling. And that comes back in a couple business weeks normally. And then the pathology is sent to a lab here in Austin. That's usually, you know, three to five business days turned around. And we'll wash off implants, return it to uh, the client, provided they're not ruptured. And I wrap everybody up. I know this is going to, another heresy thing. But I put ice packs on everybody before they wake up. Okay. Because the best anti-inflammatory, the cheapest one, that's most effective is ice. And the three medicines I described before, ice packs, just changing them 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off while you're awake, even more frequently if you want, will control your pain. Oh, I guess I didn't mention this. So I do an intercostal nerve block with a medicine that lasts about five to seven days. It's a liposomal bupivacaine. Okay. And it's and called x It's like lidocaine, but stronger. Yeah, and it's it's diffusing into the tissue, so it just sits there. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. And and any of the canes, as I understand it, even procaine, they reduce inflammation of nerves, right? So then reducing nerve inflammation seems to make everything better. So when I see that nerve, I told you, yeah. I directly inject by it. So they'll never have that pain How common again. is it that doctors do that? I mean, are you just doing an unusual procedure? Or? Oh, I've been using um, Exparel, that uh, medicine. P doctors, surgeons use it it's quite frequently. Yeah, I've been using it since uh, 2004. Okay, so it, it's it's not new news. No. All right, and for a lot of people, this is maybe, like, well, this is a surgical thing. But here's the deal. If you're going to go get a surgery, you might want to do a little bit of homework and just find out whether the person you're working with thinks like, Rob or thinks like kind of a cookie cutter approach because if you aren't prepared for a surgery, um, your outcomes are going to be worse. And if you have this weird inflammatory stuff that doesn't make any sense, maybe it's your breast, maybe it's a, a root canal is another common source of this kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. At one time we found Provitella. Oh, well, that's a not mouth. very... <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> and, it, and if you look at, at some of the stuff that Naveen is talking about with Viome, uh, and guys, Naveen Jain, um, CEO of Viome, I'm also an investor advisor there, he's finding more and more mouth bacteria relations to what's in the gut and what's going on throughout the body. So I think our oral microbiome and our gut microbiome, there's a lot more science coming out about that. And it, it's one of those things where I don't think I'll be able to stop doing a gut bacteria episode at least once every two months for the rest right. of my life at this point. Well, I mean, since you mentioned that, so, you know, I get asked all the time, like, when can I stop taking all these supplements and my diet and da, da, da. And I always ask, like, are you feeling better? <laughs> if you're feeling better, w what would Dave tell you to do? He'd try to make you feel even better. As soon as you feel a little bit better, you should definitely drink a six pack of Bud and eat a box of Twinkies because now you can. I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm, I, just, I just stopped there and I was like, well, you know, I think I want you to feel even better. Oh, you mean you can keep upgrading over? Oh, geez. I, I guess, okay, it's, it's a big leap. I'm glad you <laughs> thought of that. The, how many pills a day do you take? About 40. You said 40 supplements a day. Is it working? Absolutely. Do you feel pretty good? I do. All right. <laughs> I do. So I, I, by full disclosure, there's not anything I give a patient that I haven't taken. 
So it was one of your shows, and you you made me think about you've made me think about toxic mold a lot. Um, Thank God. And so, with all the genetics from Cautious Company, you know, I'm just like, I hear the story, and I ask them like, if you go into a place where there's a lot of smoke, or if you if you have a strong chemical smell, does it bother you, or? Do you know you lived in a place that had mold? Yeah. And that's the entire state of Texas. Well, it's the entire world. I mean, it, it's, it's such a massive problem. And so this is my hack. I give them oral liposomal glutathione in my office. And if it doesn't taste like it's supposed to, which you know how it's supposed to taste, mm-hmm. they'll be like, hey, this tastes like sulfur. Like, yeah, your liver doesn't work very well. So if people take oral glutathione and it tastes really bad, they need it even more. Yeah, because, you know, you can't outrun your diet. You can't pick your parents. Mm -hmm. But we can level you up. So if you just slowly start taking oral oral liposomal glutathione, you can bypass a a problem with your gut for until that's better. But you can build up your enzymatic activity so that your... You know, it's it's what you say. It's hacking, right? You're you're adapting to what your functional genetics are. Um, you know, there's there's your genotype and your phenotype. So we have this genotype, and we're trying to use these supplements to give us a slightly different phenotypic expression of what's going on. And it is uniformly accurate in my office when these people do this. You know they, I know they have mold exposure or phthalate exposure or something on their tox report because that's where all of that goes is to your liver. And if your ability to, so everybody needs to understand. So as Dave's alluded to on his show many, many times, toxins that go to your liver have to be dealt with in the glutathione pathway. And if you can't, your liver burden is just, it becomes super abnormal. I do do want to make sure if you're listening to this and someone in your life has um, breast implants, you are at breastimplantillnessexpert.com. Yeah, so let's, we've leveled this up too because people have asked, can I figure this out, you know, on the front end? So we have a quiz you can take um, to identify signs, symptoms, many things we've discussed. Okay. And we've put together a consumer's guide to explant surgery to highlight things that we've talked about, uh, things like our recovery program, things that you would need to continue to heal after surgery. Mm-hmm. Surgery is not the, I think, if you've been listening to this, you understand that I don't focus on just the surgery. Surgery is one aspect of this problem. It's really your genomics, your diet, your absorptive capabilities, your hormone balance, your toxicity level, that dictate much of this and we can now follow it and assess it. And then in my office, uh, we see you at a week, uh, a month, three month intervals after that. And because I have so many people travel from in, uh, out of, uh, into Austin, out of state, I do things virtually, of course. I have an entire team. I have a detox specialist. I have a nutritionist. I have a patient advocate. I have uh, uh, NPs and PAs that are very, uh, many of them have had explants, um, as I might, I can add, so they're uniquely aware of the problem. Mm. You're, you're not going to call my office and get shined 
or no shade will be thrown at you for calling my office. <laughs> so yeah. everybody understands the issue, and we want uh, this to really elevate the understanding of the issue. Uh, my read on this is that you are uh, you are moving your field forward, and there are a few people who've been really really brave about talking about uh, breast implants, like Danica Patrick, who's is a friend who's been on the show. Um, she's been very public about it and just saying, you know, hey, I, I feel so much better. I'm rebuilding my health after this. And uh, so I, I believe that the real value that you provided in this episode is, look, if someone wants bigger breasts, that's okay. That's biohacking. You can have bigger or smaller breasts. You can also have two arms or one arm. I mean, you, you can remove an arm if you want. Like, it's your body. You get to do whatever you want with it. Um, but you should know what happens <laughs> when you do that. Your proposal is saying, look, if you want to do it, you can do a fat transfer, which is safe, or at least safer than the other alternatives, but it's not as safe as having no procedures at all, because all procedures carry a risk, right? But, but that's a path forward. So if that's, if that's your thing, you can do it, right? Number one, that's, that would solve a lot of problems. Uh, and then number two, just acknowledging people who've had a procedure with implants, what does it look like? And uh, so thanks for doing that. And just guys, that URL was breastimplantillnessexpert.com. Uh, and I, I want you to go there and there's all kinds of resources. I mean, there's you, Explant, the documentary. Is that something that you did or is that something that you just use? No, it's something that's been sent to us. I mean, there's more and more in this movement. Um, I think our biggest contributions will be publishing, you know, our EEG study, our biofilm study, our genetic study, okay. those will be, I'm gonna to try to add as much scientific data as we can. Well, th this is something that I know is real. I, I have too many friends, including doctors, in fact, many of them, um, who've had their implants removed and just feel so much better, some, some very close friends. And I, this is a real thing, just like mold. No one believes it's real, and, and it can take traditionally 20, 30 years for something like even mold to become more real, but when you have an industry manufacturing devices that make a lot of money, they're going to suppress that kind of information as much as they can, and they'll do it because of profit. And it's like there's an evil overlord saying, we will do this. They just make little decisions to highlight how good their stuff is and to ignore all the data on the opposite. But it's guys like you who are saying, no, this is reality. And I, I genuinely appreciate that because that's how we move our whole species forward. So thanks. And at Dave's... Uh... Uh, encouragement, we've started a program to help uh, train practices, other Thank God. Uh, medical providers to learn about this. Um, and then I've started uh, an explant surgeon uh, program to help. You know, I, I think this is not taught really in training in a manner that is how I would do it. So um, just being able to provide some uh, resources and opportunities for observation of surgery and learning the, the ins and outs. You're, um, you're teaching surgeons how to do it right because you don't get that in medical school. It, it takes a long time working with the surgeon and you have to have someone who maybe knows how to do it, uh, which, is, uh, which is amazing. And uh, if you want to change the field, that's what you have to do. And it's just, it's an enormous amount of work. And I can see right. you did the work to, to do the discovery. Uh, the, the journey you described of noticing one patient and saying this doesn't make sense and just having that unrelenting mindset, like I'm going to figure out what this is and doing EG and doing PCR and all. 
And so that, that has changed God knows how many women's lives. Yeah. This kind of quiet hope, hopelessness that comes when your brain doesn't work and you're exhausted and you're trying to you know, do your job and your family and all that. To the women, uh, you know, we want to support you. And to your listeners, if you have a friend, mm-hmm. a colleague, um, your spouse, yeah. a sibling, a daughter, um, if they have these types of issues, uh, and so we can highlight kind of basic things. If, if someone's suffering from anxiety and or depression, shortness of breath, tightness in the chest, heart palpitations, really lots of problems with their digestive tract, um, from constipation to diarrhea to bloating, swelling, muscle and joint pain, restless legs, and they have this uh, in accompanying uh, having breast implants, it, it would be useful to send them to breastimplantillnessexpert.com, have them take a quiz okay. and see if they can learn something and uh, help them. Do that and share this episode. The whole point of the show here is that if something's really useful, then you send it to someone who can use it. And uh, all the resources are linked on daveasprey.com on the page for the podcast. Thank you for listening, Rob. Thanks for amazing work in the field. Yours for having me. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.